0: We read from uh, Genesis 1, verses 2 to 5. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. It's now my privilege to welcome um, Pastor Isaac to the pulpit. And uh, I realize I forgot also to welcome his family, his wife and two children. Two, three, 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 four. It's good to have you with us this morning and also I forgot to welcome people listening online. It's sort of uh, somewhere out there and you forget that but uh, welcome to you as well. You. Yeah, I've got this one. Yep, thank you. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, I bring you love and greetings in Christ from uh, the Reformed Church of Box Hill. We had, a, we had a wonderful week at Synod. I was there with Chris and um, some of the other guys from our classes and the other churches around the country, and it was a really a, just a, a warm time of uh, fellowship and uh, bonding, reconnecting really, um, faces we haven't seen for some time. So it's good to uh, renew the connections uh, and... Remember the the faith that we have together in Christ. Well, before we open God's word, will you please join me and let's pray together and ask for the Lord's help. Our Lord and God, as we come before you this morning, uh, we feel ourselves to be uh, the least of all saints. And so, Lord, as we come to you, uh, we ask that in spite of our own weakness and frailties, you would be pleased to meet with us in these moments and speak to us by the power of your Spirit. We pray, O oh Lord God, that you would hear uh, this prayer and this request, uh, not for the sake of anything we've done, but for the sake of the infinite value of Christ's blood spilled for us. We belong to you. Uh, we are yours. And We need the washing of your word each day. And so we pray, wash us and help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we sung those words, uh, by faith we see the hand of God in the light of creation's grand design. Those words are really well-suited to our short passage this morning from Genesis Chapter 1. Because in, in these verses, in the, in the first verses of the scriptures, perhaps you haven't thought about it before, but we really actually see uh, a design of God that has this grand and cosmic scope, this kind of scope that's, that's, that, that our song says, by faith we see the hand of God in the light of creation's grand design. Let me. Uh, ask a question. Have you ever tried to use a hammer to cut wood before? Have you ever tried pouring orange juice into your car as a replacement for petrol? Have you ever tried to paint a masterpiece using mashed banana? I'm using some stupid examples here to try and make an obvious point. And the point is this, that when it comes to getting stuff done, you need the right tools for the job. You need to know the purpose of a thing in order to use that thing. And as our song said, there is a, there is a light of, of God's design in creation. He, he has made this creation for a purpose. And so we might ask those questions about uh, using hammers to cut uh, trees and such. But really, a, a far more important and uh, in, uh, question that we need to ask is, well, what is our purpose? What is the purpose of, des- of the creation that God has made? Why does this world exist? Now, people will live their lives very, very differently depending on how they answer that question. For some people, the answer to that question is, well, we exist to make money. That's why we're here. And they spend... The, uh, the lion's share of their energies on that purpose others may dedicate themselves to pursuing pleasures you know the bible says there are those who say let us eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die but let's seriously ask that question for ourselves why do we exist why does wonga park reform church exist why do you come and worship here Well, Genesis 1, uh, in these verses, uh, gets to the heart of this great question. Why do we exist? Why does the world exist? So that's our big picture. Let's uh, dive into this a bit more and and start exploring the text itself here. So I want to take us on a bit of a journey through day one of creation today. And our first sermon point, uh, really, and this is a question I want to put to us, is, well, what is day one all about? Why is this in the Bible? Why did God start with this day? And I want to say, here's my big idea for why day one is here. Day one reveals the purpose of creation. Day one reveals the purpose for creation. That's my thesis for the text, if you like. So let's just read it again and just soak in again these well-familiar words as we try and see them with fresh eyes this morning. Verse 2. Now, I trust you can see in in the text what's going on here. There's a contrast, isn't there? On the one hand, you've got light, and on the other hand, you've got darkness. That is what the text is doing. Verse 1 points it out. There was darkness over the face of the deep. Now, in response to this darkness, we ask, well, what does God do? And the answer to that question is he speaks light into existence. He says, let there be light. But the question is, why? Why does God do this? Well, to answer that question, I think we need to ask another. What is light? Now, we can't understand why light is significant if we don't ask that question, can we? What is light? So, what do you think of when I ask that question? What is light? What comes into your mind? Probably the first thing you think of is well, light, that's the stuff that comes out of the sun. Or maybe we think about light bulbs. And if that's the answer you gave, I want to say unfortunately, you're wrong. That's not what day one is talking about because the physical light of the sun didn't turn up until day four and light bulbs didn't turn up until 1879. And yet, here we have it. In the start of day one, let there be light. So we need to rethink this. So what is light? That's our second point this morning. What is light? Second sermon point. I'm going to make three observations to try and help us explore this question. Here's the first thing I want to say about light. God is light. God is light, and Scripture actually makes this perfectly clear. In one John one of verse five, uh, we read the apostle says, "This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you: that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all." Now that's significant. In in one Timothy six sixteen says something similar: that God dwells in light, unapproachable. And so, light is not first and foremost about the sun in the sky. Sun and its light are really an analogy pointing back to the true light. Light is primarily about who God is. And so when God says, let there be light, and I believe the scripture bears this out, what he's actually saying is, let the earth be filled with me. Let my glory shine into this creation. Let it reflect my beauty. Let it shine with my excellence. And so this is why in Psalm 19, verse 1, we read that the heavens declare the glory of God. This whole creation, why do we exist? We exist to reflect the glory of God back to him in the joy of worship. And so creation radiates with the light of God's glory, where it started out with dark, formlessness, void, nothingness. The first step that God takes in this creation is to fill his light into this world. Now maybe you're thinking I'm drawing a bit of a long bow here. don't quite see this in the text. Okay, well let me try and build the case here. Here's the second thing I want to say about light. Second thing, light represents God's presence. Light represents God's presence. Not only is it a symbol of His glory, but it is also a symbol of His presence. And I want to say, if you were an Old Testament Israelite, in the time of Moses, when He wrote these words, that is exactly what you would have been thinking as you read it. You know, as the Israelites received these words, and they hear, let there be light, they're going to be thinking about Moses' face shining with light as He brought the testimony down from the mountain. They're going to think about the pillar of fire that led them through the darkness of the night. And supremely, they're going to be thinking about the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, the place where God came down and met with his people. Now, the tabernacle represented to the people of Israel the very presence of God in the camp of Israel. This was God living with his people. The whole camp, you see, as you you know, there's all those kind of boring chapters about this camp was there, this camp was there, and there was twenty-four thousand of these people and all this kind of stuff. If you actually pull this picture together, you start to see that the camp actually revolves around the tabernacle. That's the picture that's being painted in those words. And the significance of that is because the tabernacle was where God's presence dwelt, where God would come down and meet with his people. And it's actually in the very centre of the Pentateuch itself, in the book of Leviticus. At the end of the book of Exodus, the tabernacle has been made and the light comes and and all the glory fills the thing and, and Moses can't even go into it. And then you've got the book of Leviticus right in the middle. And it describes everything that's going to be happening in this tabernacle. And so what do we find in the tabernacle? Well, we find, among other things, seven lamps constantly burning to shine light into this tabernacle, another symbol of God's presence. And so every Israelite would know from the tabernacle and from the testimony of Moses that light represents God's presence. They wouldn't be thinking in terms of uh, the discovery of light bulbs and things of that nature. That's a trapping of our own modern worldview that we need to try and get past and see the biblical mindset here. And so just as God established the tabernacle as his dwelling place among his people, so too in the beginning he established the purpose of his creation— That his light would shine in, that his presence would shine in. And don't we see that as the creation narrative unfolds? God dwelling with Adam and Eve. And in fact, there's all sorts of interesting studies you can see as you study the tabernacle. It's actually, there's, there's many parallels between the tabernacle and the Garden of Eden. And so there's this continuity in the Old Testament we see here. So light represents God's presence. And if, if that's not enough for you, let me just pull out some proof texts for this. Psalm 27 and verse one, "The Lord is my light in my salvation." Psalm 56, verse 13, "For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life." Psalm 90 and verse nine which incidentally is the only psalm written by Moses that we know of. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. God's presence is light. Daniel 2:22 says light dwells with him. And so when God says let there be light, again he's showing his intention for the creation that he wants to manifest and express his glory into the creation. That he wants to dwell in it. And don't we see that as he creates men and women in his own image and dwells with them. And so we come back to our question, why do you exist? Well, you, along with everything else in creation, exists to dwell in the light of God's presence. That's why you're here. That's why Wonga Park exists. You are light bearers in this suburb. That's why you're here. Now, there are two very important questions that follow on from what we've learned so far. The first is, well, what does it mean to dwell in God's presence? And the second is, how do we do that? Well, I want to begin answering these questions and just make a third observation about light here. Third thing I want to say about light is that Christ is light. Christ is light. It's time for a bit of biblical theology. The Pentateuch, especially Genesis, you see, lays the foundation of everything else that comes in the Scriptures. And we very much see this in the light imagery of of day one. We've seen that light gives us this picture of God's presence. But as we come into the fullness of the New Testament revelation, what we see is that this presence of God, this light of his glory, is fulfilled and supremely manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. Some theologians say that uh, Genesis 3.15, that the the snake shall have his head crushed by the the seed. That's the first mention of the gospel. Well, I actually think you see the gospel writ large right here in verses 2 through 5. And and again, this is, I hope, not just me pulling out random ideas, but this is exactly what the apostle John does at the start of John's gospel. Let me just read for you from John's gospel, chapter 1, verse 1. In those uh, verses we read, In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shined in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Can you see what he's doing there? He is is deliberately echoing the pattern of Genesis 1. And he's applying it to the birth of Christ. That's what he's doing in those verses. And so God said, let there be light at the start. And that light, John says, is at last, fully and finally realized in the incarnation of Christ. And this is why Jesus says in John 9 verse 5, I am the light of the world. He says that, doesn't he? And so when God says, let there be light, he's giving his purpose statement for creation that purpose is that he wants to fill the world with the light that will be revealed fully in the glory of his son now we say don't we in reformed circles we all of scripture points to christ and it really does It is Christ who shines with the glorious revelation of who God the Father truly is. And it is Christ who brings us into communion with God the Father. Now let's get to our next question here. What does this all mean for us? If God's purpose is to fill the creation with the light of his presence and glory, how then can we walk in that light? And the answer, according to Scripture, is very, very simple. Simple enough for the smallest child to understand. Believe in Christ. Believe in Christ. This must be true for each one of us personally. To know Christ and to make him known. Wonga Park, that is why you are here. To know Christ and to make him known. In John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John 12, 46, Jesus again said, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And so as you worship in this community of God's people, among the fellowship of the saints at Wonga Park, Don't be mistaken into thinking this is just some social club. This is just some place where we get together and hang out with a few friends. No, this is a place where you come to glory in the light of God's presence as you have been doing in worship this morning. And as you train and disciple yourselves to grow in the knowledge of Christ and to to train your children in the knowledge of Christ and to share Christ with this suburb, this dark suburb, this dark city in which we live. We have a calling. Ephesians 5 verse 8, Paul says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. In Acts 13 47, the Apostle Paul says, The Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That's our charge. We are light, that we might bring this light, this light of the good news of Christ, To the ends of the earth. And as we testify to the truth of the gospel, telling others about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we become light bearers. And so here is a question for each of us to consider and ask ourselves Am I hiding the light? Matthew 5 14, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is remarkable when you think about it, isn't it? The God of all creation, the God who spoke light into existence, has placed his plan, this grand design that we've been singing about, and he has taken it and he has put it into your hands. He has placed that purpose and plan among us. He's given us the light of the gospel and he calls us to shine it. And so in Philippians 2 verse 15, the Apostle Paul gives us this charge, Be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So that's a high calling. But I want to say we actually need some encouragement here, don't we? Because, you know, I, I think about that and I read those words and I get smaller and smaller. And I've got a nice big pulpit here to hide behind as well. So that's... But let me just say a couple of words of encouragement. Firstly, your failures will glorify God. Take that to heart. Your failures, even your failures, will glorify God. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6 we read, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why is that? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And when that light shines, the fullness of that grand creation design is there at the end of the world. And and God shows what amazing, incredible things He did through vessels of clay. Everyone will see this grand display and they will look at us and they will see jars of clay and they'll go, that was not Isaac's doing. That was not Wonga Park's doing. This was the glory of God working through these jars of clay. Maybe you feel inadequate as a light bearer. I hope you do, in fact. Because we are. We are inadequate. There are going to be days in our Christian life when we will almost laugh out loud because it's so ridiculous that God would put a lamp into this pot of clay. And there will be days when you feel like maybe you're not even a Christian at all. You feel weak and you will know to the marrow of your bones that you are not up to this task. And you will feel ashamed at your frequent failures. And so I'm not going to lie about this. We are weak, inadequate light bearers. We are jars of clay. And the reason is that at the end of time, when everything is accounted for, no one will be able to say, glory be to Isaac Overton. Or insert your own name there. No one will be able to say that. But everyone will say, glory be to God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. He puts torches of light into jars of clay so that that will be very obvious. And so, don't, uh, so make no mistake, we must not excuse our failures, but we must also be encouraged to realise that God will use our failures. That's a cause for praise and thanksgiving. Now before we close out this meditation, let me just say something about darkness. We've talked about light But we see, don't we, this this passage in Genesis 1, 2 to 5, contrasts light and darkness. So let me just address the darkness for a moment. This is our third point this morning. I'm calling our third point out of the darkness. And I want to say two things about the darkness. First, darkness is the absence of light. Darkness is the absence of light. What a bright spark this preacher is, eh? Verse 2. It's a bit obvious, isn't it? But I'm, I've got a point to make here. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, picture this. The picture in this verse is this picture of this formless world. It's not about what's there, you see, but it's about what's not there. That's why the word void is there. A void is a nothing. And darkness, in contrast with light, reveals this similar insight. Darkness is the absence of light. It's not so much a thing as the absence of the thing, which is the light. Now, maybe that seems like a kind of a useless observation to make, but stay with me because I'm trying to build something here. So here's the second thing I want to say about the darkness. Second thing I want to say, God is the pattern of creation. God is the pattern of creation. And maybe that sounds strange. And you you think, well, what's that got to do with darkness? Well, let me show you. At the start of verse 2, here here you've got this creation, this dark, formless, void, empty world. And then God says, let there be light. Now, just remember what we learned about light. Light represents the glory and presence of God. And so what this means is that it's God's character which gives definition and form to the creation. This is why the psalm again says, creation declares the glory of God. We're a mirror. that's what we are. We're kind of like we're not a thing of ourselves. We're, a th- we're something that God has created and imprinted his own image on. And so darkness is this void and light is the thing that fills everything. And light is inseparable from the persons and presence of God. The person and presence of God. And so again, this just emphasises the point I'm trying to make here, that God is the pattern for creation. This is why in the New Testament we're exhorted so many times, imitate Christ, imitate me as I imitate Christ, Paul says. You see it with children, don't you? They imitate their parents. We find it in ourselves, we need mentors, we need older, wiser people in our lives, we can see the way they live their lives and follow the patterns that they set. Let me give you an example. The Bible says God is love. And so what this means is that in our relationships, they're designed to function on the pattern of God's love. They're designed to function the same way that the love of God functions. The Bible says God is righteous, and so it is that creation is designed to reflect His righteousness and moral perfection. And you can see that, can't you? Whenever you see a moral breakdown in society, in our own lives, in our families... Everything just goes to custard and it just splats all over the floor. It's a mess. God is the pattern. You could, you could go through all the glorious attributes of God and explore how, how these attributes are the pattern for creation. Maybe I can use an illustration here. When you read a book, every word of that book, your favourite novelist, whoever it might be, every word of that book is reflective of the mind of the author. It's, a, it's a, a creation of the author's uh, uh, skill and, and, and mind. The characters are a product of the author's mind. In many ways, they are reflective of the author. They have to be, don't they? Unless there's a co author. The plot of the story originated with the author. The themes and the content of the book come from the author. And so everything in that book bears the imprint of the creator, the writer. And put simply, we say, well, God is the author of creation. And so we all bear his imprint. And so let me, uh, in closing, leave you with an application and an encouragement. Here's the application for us. Put off darkness. Put off darkness. In Romans 13, 11, we read, You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armour of light. And so light reveals things. And in this fallen world, the light reveals our sin. In Luke 12 and verse 3, Jesus said, Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And so the day is coming when our lives will be fully exposed in the light of God's presence. There are no dark corners of our hearts that God doesn't see. Psalm 139 says the darkness is a light to him. He sees it all. And at the judgment seat of God, all that we've done will be revealed for what it truly is. And so, one Corinthians four, verse five says, "Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart." We each need to examine our own hearts as we live our lives, and consider what are the purposes of my heart in this thing. Why do I do this? Why do I worship Wonga Park? Let us put off darkness. And study and live, a study to live as one who is commended by God. Is there any darkness in your life, in mine? Actually, we had some wonderful preaching at Synod this week. Um, wonderful preaching. And the last sermon was right on this, this, uh, this theme. And yeah, I, I think God just shows there are things in our hearts, there are things in our lives that hinder us, aren't there? Hinder us from loving Christ. Those things we don't want to let go of. You know, he, he, the, the preacher said, you know, we sort of see these things in our lives and we kind of know they've got to go and we say, oh, this time in two years, it'll be gone. But we'll just tolerate it a bit for now and we'll kind of wean ourselves off it for a while. And our brother encouraged us and says, no, today is the day. Put it off now. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. But finally, let me offer an encouragement as we, I trust and hope, are motivated to seek the Lord, uh, to live holy lives. Let me offer an encouragement. When you start looking for it in the Bible, it's amazing to see the way that God uses the imagery of light in Scripture. Perhaps you've seen that as we've looked at a few verses across the, the course of the Bible and you just see light popping up in all sorts of interesting places. But here's the encouragement. Just as God starts with light at the start of the Bible, you see at the end he actually ends with light as well. In Revelation 21 and verse 23, let me read those verses for you. It's speaking of the, the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth. Listen to what we hear in these verses. Revelation twenty one twenty three, It says, The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light all will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In verse 5, 20, uh, verse 5 25. And the night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. So this this imagery of light at the start, we see as we come right through to the end, all the, the, the imagery and the mystery of the Old Testament is finally revealed. And there are the people of God together. No need for lamp or sun. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, let me encourage you not to put your hope in the passing things of this world. Look forward to that city whose builder and maker is God. Put your hope fully in the grace that is to be revealed when Christ returns. Because in that day, the light will shine far brighter than the sun shines at noonday on a cloudless sky. And in that day, we will stand together in his presence. Where are your affections today? What are the things you love? What are you hoping for? In that day, we will glorify God and enjoy him forever. And So let me encourage you to make that the dominating goal of your life. Enjoy fellowship together in Wonga Park. Be committed to the worship that you you come together with God's people, coming under the preaching of God's word. Set your heart fully on Christ Walk with Christ. Talk with Christ. Look to Christ. Set your heart on the hope of Christ. And brothers and sisters, before we know it, we will be in the light of his presence together. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we have taken a few stumbling words through Genesis 1 this morning. We pray, O Lord, that you would fill our hearts and our minds with a vision of your grand design for creation. O Lord God, we confess so often we live our lives with our own designs and purposes and we we plan and and, uh, make different goals and aims for ourselves. We set our hearts on various different things. And yet, even when those goals are realised the glory quickly fades. And so, Father, we pray, please meet us in the weakness of our own hearts. Please put light into these vessels of clay and shine your glory. We pray you would shine your glory here in Wonga Park, in Box Hill, in all our churches around the country, in all the churches around the world. We give you glory and thanks. And we look forward to that great day when your glory shall indeed fill the earth and the knowledge of the Lord shall cover the, the earth as the waters cover the sea. Lord, keep us until that day. We in our hearts from the love of this world, we pray. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.